I am excited to be with you guys this morning. If I have not met you, my name is Alyssa, and I have the privilege of being married to Andrew and doing life and ministry with Andrew and the privilege today of, of speaking with him. Now, if you're thinking, oh, it's so cute, you know, a, a young couple's preaching to us on Valentine's Day, and maybe they're going to talk about marriage or, or, you know, share about their love for each other. I, I think you might be a little disappointed. Uh, I do love Andrew deeply. I, I really do. We love each other. We, we love marriage. We even love talking about marriage. Uh, in fact, I do have to tell you this story. We moved to Russia about one year after we got married. And we were living in Moscow and spending time with pastors there trying to encourage them and kept sharing with pastors, hey, we'd love to be a part of your church and we'd love to encourage you however possible. And one pastor called us up one time and said, well, you've been saying you want to support us. I have something that you know, I need from you. And he said, I need you guys to do a marriage seminar for us. And we said, okay. You know, we've only been married a year, but we can do this. You know, a, a one-hour seminar, one year of marriage, it kind of matches up. Well, a few days before the seminar started, he sent us the schedule for the seminar, which was a three-day marriage conference. And we were the only speakers for three days of full content. And so from our one year of wisdom and experience, we shared with all of our heart for three very long days about marriage. In fact, my brother uh, was visiting us at the time who was not married and not in a relationship at all. And we actually had him join in the marriage seminar because what else are you going to do if you have to talk about marriage for three days? So I'm going to spare you the three-day marriage seminar today. And and instead, we we do want to spend some time talking with you about something that's even closer to our hearts, something that is deeply rooted in us. And it's actually pretty central to our marriage as well. And that's this word, of mission, mission. Today, we're gonna talk about what it looks like for us to live our life on mission, the overflow of our heart, which is mission. Let's read Luke 6, 45. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. This verse is one of those that it sounds almost like it could be like in a fortune cookie or something. I don't know if that's sacrilegious to say that the Bible sounds like a fortune cookie, but that's not why we're focusing on this verse for two weeks in a row because it it sounds great and it it feels like it could fit in this small little package. We're focusing on this verse because it represents two amazing principles that are throughout the Bible, that are talked about throughout the Bible. First, that we have to make the choice to store up good in our heart. That's what this verse says, right? We have to store up good in our heart. That's what Kyle talked about last week, that our choice to worship God is a choice to store up good in our heart. Well, today we're going to talk about what happens when we store up that good. What is the overflow from us? What should our lives look like? Write this down with me. Mission is the overflow of worshiping God. Mission is the overflow of worshiping God. Take a look at Acts 13, 2 to 3. It says, while they were worshiping, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
Paul, who is also called Saul, that's the same guy. He, he's pretty much the most famous missionary of all time. I mean, it's his missions efforts that after Jesus just sort of launched this whole thing. Many of the letters in the New Testament uh, that are written are written to places that he went on mission. In other words, if anybody's an expert on mission, it's Paul. And look at what it says here in Acts 13. While they were worshiping, while they were worshiping, he was sent out. From the overflow of their worship, Paul and Barnabas were sent out. Mission is not just about this outreach or an event we plan or a trip that we take to Africa. It's, it's not just even about sharing the specifics of the gospel with somebody. Those are all beautiful, I mean beautiful expressions of mission. But only if, just like we see in this example with Paul, only if they come from an overflow of worship. So that's great for Paul. I mean, he, he's like a professional missionary, but what does that mean for me and you? What does that mean for everyday life? And our daughter, Amaya, has actually been one of the best pictures of this for me. She is almost five, and the other day we were in a public restroom because, of course, she just couldn't wait to go to the bathroom until we got home. And so I'm trying to get us in and out as quickly as we can. And Amaya is just going about her business, and she's in this public restroom, and she's singing. And she's singing these songs that she's just making up to, to God in the moment. So she's in the bathroom and singing, Jesus, you're the best. I love God. He's the best father. Jesus loves you. If you don't know Jesus, I love Jesus. Jesus is good over and over and over, just on and on. And in that moment, it was a picture to me of this is what overflow is supposed to look like. That our lives, no matter what we're doing as we're going about them, we overflow with worship and that becomes mission. Amaya was practicing mission in that, in that bathroom. So what, what do I mean by that? What's my point? Am I saying that we should all start singing in public bathrooms? That's not my point. But I mean, you know, join Amaya in her mission if that's how God leads you. That's my point is that it is a picture of how organic and how natural our mission is supposed to feel. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because it doesn't feel natural to a lot of us. And for some of us, it can be a struggle just to smile at our family members, much less to be overflowing with God's love to the people around us. If your life is not overflowing of God, if your life feels off kilter and just not quite right, you have to start with examining what you're worshiping. We can't just decide that we're gonna switch our mission. We have to first start with what we're worshiping. If my mission is something else besides sharing God's hope, then that also means I'm worshiping something else. So many people wanna try and tell us how, how, how to find our mission or, or what, how to live out our purpose and what we can do in order to have a better purpose in life. But it starts with worshiping God. And if you don't know the hope of Jesus or if you're hearing me talk and you have no idea what it looks like to worship God and to put him first, I just want to say it's, it's not too late. God would love to start a relationship with you. He would love for you to join him in his mission in the world and love to give you that hope and that purpose that we're talking about. Today, we have Class 101. Come and, and join us at Class 101 or, or email us, um, either our personal emails or the church email. Let us know, hey, I'd like to know more about what it looks like to start worshiping God for the first time. But for those of you who have already made a decision to follow Christ, 
We don't have to wander about life questioning what our mission is. God is clear. And this is your next fill in here. My primary mission is to continue the mission of Jesus. My primary mission is to continue the mission of Jesus. Well, that almost just sounds like a cop-out answer, right? It's like a Sunday school answer. What's my primary mission? Well, I'll just say Jesus. You know, that's gotta be right. And I'm not just trying to cop out with this answer. It is central to what the Bible talks about in our mission in the world. Why do I say continue the mission of Jesus? Continue the mission of Jesus because that is what God asks of us. Our mission is centered first and foremost in Jesus. Our mission is centered first and foremost in the work that he has already done. It's not centered in me and in my gifts. It's not centered in the things that I know or the things that I want to share. It's centered in God and in his gifts. Now, before you get confused or write me an angry email, we deeply believe here that God has created each one of us uniquely, that he has shaped you for a purpose and to use you uniquely in the world. I'm not saying something against that. In fact, class 301 is, is all about that. We're also talking about that later today, if you wanna join us, of how God has shaped you. But all of that is just so that all of us together as the body of Christ can continue the mission of Jesus, right? I mean, that makes sense. We're not uniquely shaped in a way to continue something that Jesus hasn't started. We're each uniquely shaped to continue a part of what Jesus was doing while he was here on earth. So my primary mission is to continue the mission of Jesus, but what was Jesus's mission? What was his mission here on earth? Look at this next verse, John 12, 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. There are many verses in the Bible where Jesus talks about his mission on earth, but they all have this same theme, bringing light into the darkness, bringing abundant life, seeking and saving the lost. Jesus came so that we didn't have to be in the darkness, so that you don't have to be in the darkness and so that we can walk in light. But the, the crazy thing about, about God's plan is that it didn't end there. Jesus said, this is my mission, but it's also the mission that I'm giving to you to bring light into this dark world, to tell people about the hope of Jesus. And so for the rest of this message today, we wanna talk together about what does it mean for us to bring light into the dark world around us? What does it mean for us to bring light into the world around us. Let's wrestle with that question. How can I be a light? In your outline, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 5, 16. So a little bit of context to this passage. First off, who is speaking? This is Jesus. This is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, who's the audience? Uh, begins to, Jesus begins to speak at the top of the mountain to the masses, um, but the main focus is Jesus pouring into his disciples. So anytime Jesus is investing in his disciples, we really, really need to take note. We've got a couple of things going on in this verse. One, that you've got to shine. Yes, we collectively need to be a light. The church needs to be a light. But individually, you are to be the light. Well, how are we to do that? 
In the verse it says, see your good works. Our actions matter. Those actions then in turn give glory to God. Now let me back up. I'm going to just read for you, listen to these words, the two verses that come before this in 14 and 15, Matthew 5, 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Those two verses kind of give us an example, an analogy of how we are to live out Matthew five sixteen. how we are to do those good works, the ones that give glory to God. So here's that story. Let's say there's an individual, someone who got a lamp, a new lamp. Let's say it's an LED lamp, super duper efficient, bright, excellent. But once that person starts using that lamp, all of a sudden it's not working. And so let me, uh, let me just play for you or do a little skit here with you of how a call would be to a, a call center. Um, is this the light call center? Uh, yes, uh, I purchased a light and it's not working. Well, uh, sir, uh, what's wrong with your light? Well, I told you, it's, it's, not, it's not working. Well, what do you mean it's not working? Well, let me tell you, it worked for a brief minute. It was super bright. Just as advertised, just as it said on the box, and boom! Stopped working. Help me fix it. Well, sir, tell me. Tell me about that boom. What, what, what happened? Well, I plugged it in. It was shining brightly. And you know, every lamp needs a shade. Every lamp needs to be dampened. So I, I didn't have a shade, a lamp shade. So I just looked around and I had a basket. So I put a basket over the light and the light is not working. I don't understand it's not doing what it's supposed to do. You can hear the intonation is rising on the phone with, with this new light technician. Hear the irony in that? A light that's supposed to shine, we cover. I'm reminded of this little kid's song. Yes, we sing lots of songs, as, as Alyssa said. I don't know if you know this song, but stick with me. Stick with me. Are you still with me? I don't know. Maybe you were thinking about the song that Alyssa sang. This song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You don't want me to keep singing. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But the, the song continues, it, it says, hide it under a bushel. No! i got to let it shine. So just like the example of the person calling in saying, my light's not working. Why isn't it working? Because you covered it with a basket. Or the kid's song, this little light of mine, I want to let it shine. Am I going to hide it under that bushel? No. 
We need to shine. Now, this idea of shining, of living out these actions that we read about in Matthew 5, 16, this idea is such an important part of the faith journey that here at North Point, we gave it, we gave it a name. We call it the peace plan. So whether you've heard about peace a thousand times or you're hearing it for the, the first time today, I want to make sure you understand that the power of peace is not in the name or how the actions are organized or arranged underneath the letters. Peace is about looking at the craziest issues in our community through the lens of hope. Hope because we have a Savior and hope because his church, you, man, I get excited, you are ready to proclaim his goodness through word and deed. We have to be intentional if we are to see hope in the brokenness around us. Spiritual emptiness, egotistical leaders, poor leadership, poverty, disease, illiteracy, these things surround us here in our community and in every community around the world. Where do you start? Where do we start? How do we be the light? How do we overflow with what's in our heart? Well, we do five things. We plant churches that promote reconciliation. We equip servant leaders. We assist the poor. We care for the sick. And we help educate the next generation. See, you are the difference in the peace plan. Your actions are not just about meeting a need, but about building a relationship and pointing people towards a relationship with Jesus. Here at North Point, we, we don't give toys at Christmas because people in our community need toys. We give toys because we have a desire to get to know our community, be involved and be friends with people in our community, to show Jesus' love to those in our community through the generosity of toys and an ongoing friendship. Maybe you're watching today because a North Pointer connected with you, invited you to one of those events. Welcome. Thank you for coming. I hope to get to know you, but more importantly, I'm glad that you've connected with someone who loves you here. Internationally, globally, we don't go to Kenya to give away stuff or even give away knowledge, right, in our areas of expertise. We go to Kenya to encourage local believers and churches there as they are meeting the needs of people in their community and start individual relationships with those people, leading them to the hope in Jesus. Because globally, healthy mission is not about us doing these action steps of peace in places we only visit for a short time. It's about us encouraging, motivating and empowering the local church in that community to meet the needs of their community and reach people who do not know Jesus. It's a way we go about addressing the most important question we face on this planet. What am I to do about spiritual emptiness? Here's the thing about the peace plan that I want you to get today. All these things, all of them, all of these Areas ultimately address the problem, the issue, the question of spiritual emptiness. Here's the thing about the peace plan that I want you to get today. All these things, all of them, ultimately address the problem of spiritual emptiness. 
Your life is not gonna change so much. If I stand up here and give you my wise community development peace advice, or list off Andrew's top 10 mission truths, that cannot change you. The good news, the gospel, is what changes you. Jesus living and working in your heart, yes. I wanna share some practical things along the way. I'm passionate about being practical, but understand it is only when you behold the good news and believe the good news. There's change. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said something that has really stuck with me. Uh, He's one of the most influential Christian communicators of uh, the 20th century. He pastored Westminster Chapel in London for about 30 years. And in the 1950s, he was a part of this discussion. Should sermons be doctrinally rich or practically practically relevant? Doctrinally rich or practically relevant? It's amazing that 70-odd years later, uh, in a lot of the conversations that I'm in, I... I'm hearing the same discussion. But D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said something that, that, that stuck with me. He said, it should be neither. Neither, really? Because the goal of a lecture is that you leave with a page full of notes. The goal of a motivational speech is that you leave with a page full of action steps. And the goal of preaching the gospel is that you leave worshiping. There should be a time in any gospel message where the the pen goes down and your eyes go up and you stop saying, oh my God, what do I have to do for you? And you start saying, oh my God, look at what you have done for me. Because in that moment of wonder, you change You experience the overflow that we're talking about in this series. Not because of any insight that I'm giving you, but because the constitution of your heart changes. Anything that comes from me won't be nearly as helpful as pondering the so many steps that Jesus took when he came to save you. You'll grow leaps and bounds when you stand and wonder at the grace that Jesus showed you because you're becoming more like him. And that's a whole lot better than any insight that that I could share. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So one way to think about the peace plan is to live out Matthew 5, 16 in that song. Shine your light, give glory to God with your actions. So as you're doing that, how do I attack spiritual emptiness? Okay, Andrew, you've told me scripture, the gospel, the good news is important. How do I attack spiritual emptiness? Well, let's go to scripture. Luke 6.45, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. Courage comes from connection. It's true. It's important to be bold and have courage as we're attacking spiritual emptiness. 
But our courage does not come from our own wisdom or our own strength or even our own skills. Our courage comes from increased connection to God and to those in our life who don't know Jesus. Why? Let's read John 15, verse 4. Remain in me also as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So if you aren't sure where to start in getting connected to God, start here. If you are battling spiritual emptiness with someone, recommend them to start here. Read John 15 every day this week, every day this week. And listen to worship songs. Look in the chat. We've got a Spotify list of worship songs that we've been singing and praising the Lord with here at North Point. Jesus is so clear with us. We have to remain in him if we want to be anything more than a dead branch. Whew, that sounds harsh. Is that harsh? Maybe. But it's spoken with such a warm invitation to abide with him, to remain in him. He doesn't cut us off or kick us out. He invites us to stay longer. So plug in, plug into places where you need to rely on him. There's so many ways to remain in him. And this season, like no other, we have physically isolated ourselves, often for, for really good reason. Do not isolate yourself from God. Plug into him. Because courage doesn't come from you. It comes from connection. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I will be with you. Because I will personally go ahead of you without connection to God. We have every reason to be absolutely terrified. Man, and we honestly, we really should be. But with connection to God, all that changes. Increased connection to God gives us the courage we need to attack spiritual emptiness. But we also need increased connection to people who are lost and still in darkness. It's it's really hard to encourage someone if you only see him one time a week from across the street and you can barely even wave. It's really hard. It's hard to have the courage to share when our lives and schedule are filled up with other people and other priorities and other things. But when we build friendships, increase connection, then we have the courage to continue the mission of Jesus and be a light in those relationships because much, much, much of this comes from him. It all comes from him. This leads us to the next point in our outline. The right words come from active listening. Proverbs 18, 13. The one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolish and disgrace for him. Some of the best sharers of the gospel, you could say the word evangelist, right? Some of the best people who share Jesus I know are hardcore introverts. Why are they good at sharing the good news? Well, because they're excellent at listening. 
They listen for opportunities to ask more questions, to engage in meaningful conversations. Knowing how to share God's hope is certainly important. And it's one of the things we talk about in Class 401. Actually, today we're hosting here on campus Class 401. If you haven't been to any of our classes, come today. In 401, we're going to talk more about sharing your story, sharing God's story through you. But if we first don't become active listeners to people around us, we're never going to see, or we're rarely going to see opportunities to share. Let's look at what the prophet Jeremiah says about God's words. Jeremiah 15, 16. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. See, Jeremiah was an interesting guy, a prophet. He dedicated his entire life to speaking the words God gave him. Not his words, but the words God gave him. That's what he dedicated his life to. This was his full-time gig, his full-time deal, his entire focus. He devoured God's words. He wanted nothing more than to hear God's voice. But even Jeremiah got off track. Because a few verses later in this chapter, we see him accusing God of leaving him and not speaking. Let's check out Jeremiah's response. God's response to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 19. This is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you so that you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. If I were Jeremiah, I would think I might have felt a little frustrated. Worthless words? Just trying to speak the words that will lead people to repentance, to a relationship with you. But God says, return to me. Be restored by just spending time in my presence. Slowing down to listen again. Then speak the good words from that place. I like examples of these things. And Jeremiah is a great example. And I was trying to think of another example that could help us understand this principle. And I was reminded of the life of uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I talked about earlier. Man, he's somebody who lived this out. You see, now it's known that he was one of the greatest Christian communicators of the 20th century. But it didn't start out that way. He didn't always aspire to serve God vocationally. And in fact, uh, he started off his life uh, as a doctor, his professional life as a doctor. But in one of his interviews, he says, I left medicine and became a minister of the gospel. I had this burning conviction that that's what I needed to do. But before he made the transition from medicine to ministry... Uh, he had a conversation with one of his, with one of his friends. And uh, his friends asked him, how do you know that you're going to be able to preach and teach and share? You know what you can do as a doctor. Why don't you go on with that and exercise Christian influence? What if you suddenly find that you can't teach? You see, at that point, 
when he was making this decision, he didn't have a theological background. He didn't have an education in that area. And he didn't have experience. He says, I had only preached three times in super small places. But he knew that's what God wanted him to do. He said, I know what I want to preach. And what I think, what must be preached. And I've got this feeling that I will be able to say it. See, the point is not that he left medicine for ministry. The point is that he completely relied on the Lord for what to say. Later on in life, he called this logic on fire. Yes, we must prepare. Yes, we must study. But we must be on fire from the Holy Spirit. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a living, or was a living example of that, just like Jeremiah. And this is the same approach that I pray that we take today. Courage comes from connecting, and the right words come from active listening. I want you to see that this increased connection and active listening can, can and should be happening no matter what part of peace we're doing. If we're caring for the sick, we're to be doing so with the hope of Jesus, aiming to increase our connection to that person and listening for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Because again, in each of these areas, they're not solved without addressing the issue of spiritual emptiness. And it can sound and feel sometimes unattainable because it is on our own strength and with our own words. So what does this mean for you today? Grab your outline. What does it say next? This next year, our mission, focus, is intentionally very simple. Who's the one person God is asking you to be in a relationship with? to share his story with? That's the question I want to think about as we close out this message. Who's your one? In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's Luke 15, 7. Think about it for a second. I'm going to pause. All right, a few disclaimers for those of you who are already doing mental gymnastics. All right, what if I have more than one? Uh, shouldn't, be we, shouldn't we be sharing with everyone? What if there are already three people that I'm, that I'm praying for? Okay, slow down, slow down, slow down. You're not gonna get in trouble for sharing God's love with more than one person, okay? But where are we asking you to start? to focus on one person. Why? Because the Bible tells us that heaven celebrates over one person returning to Jesus. Because what we want to do as a church is for you to spend focused time, intentional time with your one. Not always time at church or talking about spiritual things, but time meeting their needs and having fun. It's why in all the mission agendas we do, preaching the gospel 
attacking spiritual emptiness is central to us. There's a jolting story in the life of Jesus that's in John 6 when we read about him feeding the 5,000. You know the story. Five loaves, two fish, Jesus feeds everybody. Afterwards, everybody wants to make Jesus king. Why? Well, if this guy can do that with five loaves and two fish, imagine what he can do with real resources. He could end world hunger. But what does Jesus do? What's his response? He, he retreats. He goes up the mountain and comes back at the end of the chapter doing what? Preaching the gospel. Sharing the good news. What was so important to him that he could forego solving world hunger? Gospel. The good news. Because free, feeding hungry bellies will keep people alive for a lifetime. But preaching the gospel will save their soul for eternity. It's not that we ever choose to do one without the other. We do this out of love for our neighbor, but we understand out of all the great things we can do for our neighbor, sharing the gospel can save their soul for eternity. Now, an interesting nugget about that biblical story is that the Apostle Andrew, solid name, Apostle Andrew, was the one that brought the boy to Jesus. He's only mentioned a handful of times, but every time he's mentioned, he's bringing one person to the Father. Who's your one? What if we would intentionally interact with one person, one family, someone from your gym, your kid's soccer team? Will you commit to reaching out to your one once a month or doing something with them? Maybe you already have a friendship developed with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And making them your one means a shift in the way that you think about your time together. Maybe you need to take a vacation day from work to bring them coffee or do something special for them. Maybe you need to start building a new friendship with someone. A few months ago when we, Alyssa and I shared, we, we asked you to write down one person, one place, and one problem that you'd be praying for. And we've been praying alongside of you. Kathy, as you prayed for Missy. Chris, as you prayed for Alex. Jeff, as you prayed for Donald. Cheryl, as you prayed for Sandra. Katie, as you prayed for Shelly. And if you want us to stand with you, pray for you, as you experience this overflow and you reach out to your one, we'd love to do that. Put it in the comments on the chat. Let us know. Click that card. We want to stand with you. So if you haven't written down a name yet and it's blank, keep praying. Ask God to show you who is your one. Who's your one? Just to circle back, practically, what are, you, what are we encouraging you to do? To spend time with your one. Ask questions of your one. Invite your one into your life. Share your story with your one. As, as we're talking about who's your one, I imagine there's several, several questions. Some, some of you aren't convinced that you should share your faith, or maybe you aren't convinced about who Jesus is. And if you aren't convinced or convicted today of this truth, I'd ask you to do one thing, to reach out. Join us today at Class 101. It's a time when we talk more about who we are as a church and what it means to be a part of this church. We'd love to start a journey of exploring that with you. Join us. 
Maybe you have another response. Maybe you're nervous or anxious. Rely on him. One believer, one unbeliever, one unbelieving family, invite them into your home. Invite them to their small group. Do what's appropriate for you and your family now. Commit to do one thing a month. One meaningful interaction for Christ. One, one person at a time. We want to see a movement. We like it when so many people come to Jesus, but it starts with one. Programs don't reach people. People reach people with his strength. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that we can hear your word, hear your voice, and respond. Lord, help us to have faith like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, I know that you will give me what to say. Help us to be like Jeremiah and to turn, to focus on what you are telling us. Lord, Lord, we want to live out our faith. We want to share with those in our lives because, Lord, courage comes from you. And when we listen, Lord, the words come from you too. Help that overflow to be true in our lives today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.